Hello, everyone, and welcome to a special episode of Strengthen Our Voice. My name is Kyla, and I am one of the co-presidents of Strengthen. We are a mental health club at the University of Toronto. And today, it is my pleasure to have with, to have with us here um, Anthony and Maureen. They are from the Distress Centers of Greater Toronto who have lots of experience with mental health, mental wellness, and how to provide support. So it's my pleasure to have them here today. Welcome, Anthony and Maureen. Thank you. Thank you. Can you please tell us a little bit about your experience working with the Distress Centers of Greater Toronto and what you both do? Absolutely. So um, I am the inbound program manager for Distress Centers Greater Toronto. I am responsible for overseeing the teams and programs associated with all of our inbound services, um, which is inclusive of our volunteer resource management and coordination, all of the operations related to our teams, uh, student placement recruitment, um, and kind of everything in between relating to service provision, uh, quality assurance, um, volunteer feedback, experience, and all of those types of things. Awesome. Yeah. And um, my name is Anthony. Uh, like you said, I'm one of the volunteers at the Distress Centers. So I'm trained on several of the lines. I'm trained on uh, Canada Suicide Prevention. I'm trained on our General 408 Helpline, as well as most of our transfer services, including Crisis Link and EMS. Um, so yeah, I, I'm just on a typical shift. Um, I'm responding to those various services. Um, and then when needed, I'm reaching out to our uh, supervisors for support if, if that's necessary as well. The work you both do is absolutely amazing. So thank you so much on behalf of the community for all that you do. Uh, I was wondering, on a typical shift, what kind of calls do you expect from people? Mm -hmm. Yeah, so our lines are pretty constant. Um, we have a variety of callers that use our service. Our volunteers are trained to respond to like uh, many different age groups. So we, we pretty much any call we get, um, we, we can take and we can assess uh, whether it's a crisis call, uh, general anxiety or distress. We are trained as well to deal with suicide if, if that's relevant. But, but, but um, if it's not an imminent crisis, we're always uh, willing to listen and just have a normal conversation to, um, to, to help build connection and reduce isolation um, with some of our callers. Yeah, that's a really uh, great summary, especially from, you know, your direct work sort of in the front lines. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, and I mean, overall, that's that's what we're about, right? So we're looking to, to provide support to anyone who needs it. Um, you know, we're looking to do our best to answer every call, to be available to anyone who needs us for whatever uh, whatever issue they're experiencing. So the idea is that no problem is too big or small, that we're always accessible as a service. And we're just hoping that that folks know that there's someone who will listen and there's someone who cares, um, who will support them. Uh, and that's typically what we see with our services as well. Just, you know, it's just someone to reach out to if you're not sure who else to turn to for support. For sure. That's really good to know because whenever I think of distress centers, I'm sure this is the case with a lot of people out there, they often think of distress centers as a place to call as a last resort or if you really are in a crisis and are probably experiencing suicidal thoughts. So it's good to know that the distress centers are there to reach out to in case you ever need to talk and something less serious is going on. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, of course, as Anthony said, we do we do support people who are experiencing crisis um, you know, heightened emotional situations, anxiety, uh, attacks, anything like that, um, all the way up to suicidal ideation and crisis as well. Um, you know, but, but we are kind of ex expanded upon that and, um, and, and yeah, we're just available to anyone who, who requires that support, who is feeling alone, who's looking for connection or support. So, um, yeah, we're happy to always spread the word about, the possibility that we are available for those kinds of reasons um, and to make sure that people know that we are kind of accessible beyond just suicide and crisis. Mm -hmm. and, and I think um, like Maureen was saying, one of the biggest things for me is um, what she was mentioning about connection. Um, that's a super important um, idea. And I, I remember when I started uh, volunteering at the distress centers, that was one thing that really resonated with me as a volunteer, just hearing people 
hearing people's stories and their journeys and their struggles and and to see the diversity of like where people are at in different stages of their life whether it's a crisis call or just a like reduced anxiety isolation call we're a voice on the other end of the line to be there to help foster a connection and to help to help be there for someone because a lot of times um it's hard to reach out to friends and it's hard to reach out to family sometimes um and sometimes family may not be the best support and friends may not be the best support so we're definitely um there to be a, a third party to um to support and um, engage in, in in those different variety of conversations. My next question on the lines of that is, what's it like for the callers to reach out to support? Have you heard any stories about how they feel and how you guys have been able to help them? Yeah, so I, I think just in general, like the general consensus is um, sometimes it's, it's difficult to reach out. I, I know different people get our, our number from and our resources from different community partners or They'll find us by um, web searches. Um, so a lot of times people uh, come in with an open mind. We do have some familiar voices who um, are people who use our service more frequently, and we're, we're definitely there to support them. Um, but we also have a lot of uh, callers who are new to our service and maybe unsure of what they're looking for, or they're just stressed out and they're looking to discuss options and to uh, ground themselves. So we're, we're trained in helping ground um, callers as well. But I think sometimes it's definitely with the stigma of mental health, um, it is difficult to reach out for some people. But uh, my understanding is, is that it's, it's generally pretty positive feedback. And um, maybe Maureen could elaborate a little bit more on some of the feedback from, from callers. Absolutely. Um, yeah. And I mean, just to kind of expand a bit too on, on what Anthony has said, you know, we're, we're part of that spectrum of care, right? So we're part of of the mental health services and supports that are available in the community. And, and oftentimes, you know, people aren't sure where to turn to, or, um, you know, they might be waiting on an appointment or, you know, they haven't had, they're, they're in need of support and they haven't had the the sort of foresight or the, the capacity to have the foresight to reach out to their additional resources, like a counselor or a psychologist or something like that, if they have those resources available to them. Um, and, you know, with those two, you often have to wait to get that appointment. And sometimes you just need somebody to talk to right now or in a, in a moment um, where you're feeling lonely or where you're feeling upset. And so we kind of help to fill some of those gaps in the system. Um, and, and the other thing that's wonderful about us, of course, is that we are free. And so we're a free community-based service, um, with it, which is just supported by a huge quantity of well-meaning volunteers, well-trained volunteers who are there to listen, who are there to address your concerns, who are able to connect you with resources, um, are able to connect you more broadly in the community with things that you that you might need um, or things that you may not even have been aware of that were accessible to you. Maybe it's additional low-cost or free services. Maybe um, it's just additional connections or community organizations that you just hadn't thought of. You know, if you're experiencing crisis or if you're in distress or if you're having uh, experiencing some sort of challenge in your life and you aren't sure where to turn, it's helpful to have that sort of third-party, non-biased, non-judgmental person to, to listen and to hear you and then to perhaps, you know, connect you with those things. Um, and the thing that that people generally say, you know, is that it is helpful to have that. Um, we do get great positive feedback uh, from people all the time um, who are looking, who look to us to fill that gap, who look to us often, you know, as one of their main sources of support. As Anthony said, we do have, um, you know, folks that reach out kind of on, a, on an occasional or a regular basis. And we're one of their key supports, especially in a day-to-day -day capacity. You know, they have their additional services and supports that they reach out to, but those are maybe on a more structured, less frequent basis. And so again, we can help fill the time between those spaces or, you know, maybe they don't have the best financial circumstances and we are able to, you know, be someone just to listen, or maybe they're just lonely. And, you know, I think with COVID and the pandemic, we're all experiencing heightened um, feelings of loneliness and isolation uh, sort of social disconnection. And so 
being able to reach out to a resource that doesn't limit you, doesn't put boundaries in terms of how many times you can reach out or, um, or anything like that is really helpful. And folks generally are saying that we are a helpful resource. Um, we are someone that they trust to reach out to, that generally they do find our resources supportive. Um, and, and, you know, that's all that we really would hope is that just that we're able to, pro- to be there to provide the best type of support that we are able to and that we can provide to the service user. Um, and just, as I said, to be there to listen uh, and offer that connection. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. I think Maureen said it very, very eloquently. I just want to add on to really quickly about our service being confidential. I know sometimes a lot of people are hesitant to reach out because they're not sure who's going to have access to the, like, uh, the calls, but all of our calls are private and um, we, we keep everything confidential within our agency. So um, when, when the callers do reach out, they, they are informed that it is, it is just between the responder and the caller. And um, I think that tends to provide a lot of comfort to callers as well, too, to know that um, it is a safe space to reflect and it is a safe space to have conversations about that are challenging. And um, unfortunately, there are a lot of gaps in, in the support system um, in terms of getting a therapist and finances. So, so like Maureen said, we, we really are that para-counseling um, intermediate, I would say, where individuals can kind of um, bridge that gap. And yeah, and just in terms of like individual feedback I've received from, from callers, obviously every call is different, but it, um, typically like in a call that starts out with like heightened emotions or anxiety, I usually get good feedback at the end of people saying, um, I wasn't really sure what to expect, um, but I'm really glad I reached out and you really made me feel listened to and validated. And um, to me that it, it's, it's very rewarding um, as a volunteer hearing that um, but also from like an agency perspective, um, it's it's incredible that we have that um, the resources and the means to be able to provide that comfort to individuals. I think it's also uh, important to think too about those that are in crisis or experiencing suicidal ideation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we're not we're not going to jump immediately to a nine one one intervention. Our our expectation is, of course, to assess risk and to to respond appropriately, and and that may include a nine one one intervention. But if we are, if the risk is not imminent, we have a lot of space to deescalate, and I think that that can be really, again, a sort of sense of comfort for folks that they're not going to receive that sort of heightened response um, that. If, if they're not imminent risk, which means, you know, they're not at, at risk of hurting themselves or, or acting on their suicidal ideation, or they haven't, haven't um, reported that they have act on their, acted on their ideation um, to you in that call, you know, we're able to, to respond in a way that's appropriate and, 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 and slow it down a little bit, you know, be able to, to, again, continue to assess risk and to de-escalate in a way that is appropriate to the service user, uh, rather than, you know, kind of jumping immediately to that 911 intervention. And that is how all the responders are trained. That's how the staff are trained. And so, um, you know, we're really looking to limit that kind of um, response unless it is warranted, which sometimes it is, of course. Um, but there's so much good de-escalation work that can be done to help somebody who is experiencing ideation. And so, again, I think it's really important just to highlight that for folks that they're not just going to, you know, if they call in and they are feeling suicidal, that we have time to, to talk about that before, um, you know, without making any sort of immediate jump to intervention, um, and in many, many cases, intervention isn't appropriate, right, based on their level of risk or ba- based on what they're thinking. Because just because you're thinking about suicide doesn't mean you're in a space where you're planning to act on it. Um, and so I, I think it's important to to get that out there so that that folks who are experiencing suicide ideation know that they have a space to call where they can feel safe to say, like, you know, I'm thinking about suicide today. Um you know, I don't have a plan, 
Um, but I, I am thinking about suicide and, and to be able to then safely talk about that and to safely kind of express those concerns. Yeah. I'm so happy that you mentioned that because that's definitely something that um, I, I hear a lot of people, a, a lot of uh, callers sometimes struggle to um, open up on the lines because they, they fear that if they mention suicide or if they mention anything that could harm themselves, that we're going to immediately call um, the police or emergency services. And like Maureen was saying, that's um, not common practice, but it is something that we will intervene on if necessary. But typically, as long as the caller is willing to engage meaningfully, and we're, we're more than happy to have those conversations. And all of our volunteers are very comfortable discussing um, a variety of topics, um, and one of them being suicide. So I feel like the one of the issues when a, a lot of people hesitate is they fear a reaction and they fear a response. And I can say almost certainly that that we won't that um, that it is a very safe space to to do that and um, to bring those conversations up without fear of um, of reprisal or fear of um, intervention, unnecessary intervention at least. That's so important that you bring that up because that was one of the things back when I was struggling by myself through mental health challenges mm. years ago. I thought that the options were either don't get help or get the very extreme intervention. I did not know that there was an in-between. So knowing about this resource is so important so people know that they don't have to wait to reach out to get help until they reach that very until they until they reach that end state of actually wanting to go through a suicide, it's really important for them to know that even if the thought just crosses their mind, that they can talk about it. And that's one thing that I did not have growing up. And that's why I'm so appreciative of the work that the both of you and the distress centers do. I mean, and it, it definitely, I'm sorry to hear about um, your struggles and um, I'm glad that you got through it though. The one thing I will say that is... Um, I think very comforting is um, knowing that like we're always there, right? So like if you like, I think we mentioned very early on, but like if you call and um, like there's no limit to our service, right? So um, if you call and maybe you're still feeling some heightened emotions after the call, you can give us a call back. Um, and typically, so say someone's calling with strong suicide ideation, it's possible that part of the, I know Maureen mentioned um uh, safety planning and stuff like that. So one of the things we may do is say, this is an intense space for you to be in right now. Can we try to do something to de-escalate for now? And we'll give you a call back or we'll reach out to you later today. Or you can give us a call back and check in. So we're really ensuring um, safety throughout the process, right? Because just because someone's thinking of suicide, like we said, doesn't necessarily mean that uh, they're going to act on it. And it's good that to know that there's no limit to the amount of times people can call. That's one mm -hmm. of the things with therapy that I think is a, as valuable as therapy is. It definitely has been beneficial for me and a bunch of my friends. It's like the mm -hmm. 50 minutes is up and it's up. It doesn't matter what you're talking about. And oftentimes, even if you're still not feeling the best, once that 50 minutes is up, that's it. You got to go out into the world and deal with whatever you're experiencing and, and wait a week or two before the next session. So mm -hmm. it's really, it's really comforting to know that with the work that you do, if someone, you can take your time, there's no time limit. And if someone isn't feeling well after they hang up the phone, they can call back again. <laughs> For sure. On a, so on a similar note, I was wondering from your experiences, what are some common signs that someone's in need of extra support? So, of course, this isn't going to be an exhaustive list. And, and these are definitely, you know, some of the signs, but not necessarily every sign. Um, but, you know, we we can sometimes tell when people need support if they're maybe becoming disconnected or sort of removing um, themselves from their usual social patterns or engagement. Um, you know, they're maybe pulling away. Um, they could have, you know, prolonged periods of sadness, self-destructive language, maybe um, intense experiences, intense feelings of loneliness. Um, you know, they might be 
expressing sort of a, a lack of meaning in their life. Maybe they're giving away their possessions, you know, depending on sort of the intensity of their experience, you know, if it's anywhere from, you know, I'm feeling like I need support all the way because I'm feeling lonely or I'm feeling depressed or I'm just not feeling like myself, you know, up to, I need support because I'm feeling suicidal. You know, there's different experiences and different reasons um, why someone might need support and also different, different signs, depending on the intensity of, of those emotions and of those experiences and of the challenges that they're facing. And so, um, you know, when we think about if someone is suicidal, um, you know, there may be, they may make statements like, I'm a burden or, um, you know, I don't really see any meaning to any of this anymore. Nothing matters. Um, you know, if they have prized possessions or things that are really important to them, like a pet, for example, or a vehicle, um, you know, just something that matters deeply to them, they might look for someone to, for example, take care of that pet or to pass something along to. It could be something smaller, even if, you, you know, if somebody collects something and they're looking to, they'd start giving away some of those, you know, their prize pieces in a collection, for example, just sort of these ideas where you're kind of seeing them devalue themselves in their life and, and to pull away from things that usually matter to them. But I think in general, you know, if you're noticing somebody's patterns changing, if you're noticing someone's reactions changing, maybe they're more easily upset, angry, sad, um, you know, they, they're they a little bit, they're more aggressive than they used to be, or their temper is shorter. You know, these types of things can can sometimes be be signs. Um, and, and I think it's just important, you know, to, to pay attention to the people around you and, um, check in with folks and, and really ask, I mean, the best way to know if someone's okay or not in, in many situations is to ask. And we know that, you know, we're so conditioned, I think, to say like, oh yeah, everything I'm fine. Or like, how are things going? And, oh, things are fine, you know, but maybe dig a little deeper if you're concerned. Um, and, but, uh. Yeah, just pay attention to those things. If somebody, if something feels different or if something feels off uh, to you based on how you know that person in your life, um, those are the things to look out for, I think. Uh, and and it might be a relief to somebody to who's experiencing these feelings um, just to have someone check in, to have someone ask uh, how they're doing and, and if they are really okay. Um, and just, to, again, to show that you care and to make sure that they know that you're there and thinking about them. That's such a that's such a very important list and a really good thing that you mentioned about how the list is not exhaustive. And I love the way you mentioned that to use your best judgment, if something seems off in the way you know them, then it doesn't hurt to check in. I think that identifying a few signs like what we like what you talked about is really important, but also the way you ended that saying, use your judgment. You know the person best. I think that's something that people need to really keep in mind at the end of the day, your gut feeling is there for a reason. It's right a lot of the time. And if you sense that something is off, then it does not hurt to check. And, you know, it's, it's interesting because it, it might, the small things you do might be more impactful than you think as well. You know, that, that, that text, just asking how someone's doing, just checking in every once in a while with somebody um, you know, I personally have had an experience where I was just checking in with a friend. They were living out of province and and in a um, kind of an isolated community and, and you know, too far to visit. And this is pre-COVID, of course. But, uh, you know, and then hearing afterward from, from a mutual friend that they were so thankful to have those conversations with me. And I felt like very surprised by that. Just I felt like I had not reached out all that much that, you know, I checked in maybe once a month or every six weeks and our conversations were often really brief. And, and I like personally didn't feel like I was getting sort of much doing much for that person. And then to hear after the fact that, that they had said to someone else that that was so helpful for them or so 
um, beneficial or they just appreciated it in some way, I was really surprised. And so it's important to know that those small things can be more impactful than you think. Um, and even if you aren't really feeling like you're doing all that much, you might have a bigger impact uh, than you can even realize. And you may never actually get to hear, you know, these side conversations from mutual friends where, where they said, oh yeah, they, that, you know, they really appreciated that. So um, just know that what you're doing and, and your reaching out doesn't go unnoticed, that people do notice those small things and, and that they can be really important in the long run. I'm so glad you mentioned that because that's one of the hardest things about providing support. You often, you don't get feedback a lot of the time based on how you're doing or if you actually did help that person. And since we're, since us humans are naturally worried beings, we're going to think that we didn't do enough. So it's really nice to know that no action is too small. And it's really important to just recognize that the impact that you have is a lot greater than you may think. And so I know we kind of already touched upon this already, but what should you do if you think that someone is in need? Yeah, um, I think that the biggest thing that, that we just kind of mentioned that Maureen mentioned was um, reaching out to them, right? And um, I think those subtle messages sometimes really resonate. And I'm so glad that you shared that personal experience with your friend. Um, I'm glad that you got some feedback. But I think one of the things I also kind of want to touch on is... Um, when we reach out, sometimes we impose things, right? So I would say one thing to be cautious of is try not to impose something's wrong with you, like you stopped going to this group or you stopped messaging here, haven't heard from you, like you're obviously struggling. Um, I think sometimes just like general messages are very impactful. And those are the messages that are even as simple as I'm just thinking about you and um, or how are things going and like having that curiosity to to listen and to be touched by someone's story um, and I just want to mention to you really quickly one of the things that really stuck with me very early on in my uh, experience at the distress centers was actually in um, one of our training sessions um, so our, our the volunteers go through um, an intense training process uh, to make sure we're we're trained on all different uh, levels and um, one of the things we discussed was um, like listening and how and how to listen the one of our quotes that um our facilitator had uh given us was to listen is to lean in softly with the willingness to be changed by what you hear um and it's by a poet named mark nepo and for me it's something that i try to incorporate in my in every call and in every experience even outside of the distress centers and to me to me it just really means like showing curiosity and showing care and when we're really listening to someone is when we let let ourselves be impacted by this story. And it doesn't have to be a negative impact. It's just sitting with someone in that discomfort. And really, it's one thing to say, I'm listening to you, I'm listening to you. But to really listen is to feel it. Listening to people is, is very important, especially if you think someone's in need. So just to kind of summarize, I would say that like uh, reaching out, being, being curious, um, not really imposing anything, but um, being open to hearing them and maybe they're not ready to share and maybe um, just knowing that they have someone that if they, I hope this makes sense. So someone may not need support or may not want to talk about it, but knowing that there's someone that is there that they can talk to if they need it really helps some people. Also, just going back to um, the distress centers, we're always there as well too. One of the things we mentioned early on um, was like calling if you're in crisis, but also if you're unsure about things and maybe you have a friend that's going through something and it's starting to impact you a little bit and you're feeling that like stuckness, um, you're, anyone's welcome to give us a call as well too and kind of talk about some of these things with our volunteers and our responders to, um, to get some suggestions or to get some, to have a space to reflect on it. Yeah, so I, I think that that's something that not a lot of people um, think of necessarily, but um, we, we do as well, like help third parties. So you don't have to necessarily be um, in need to, to use our service if, if you're concerned about somebody else. I agree totally with, um, with what Anthony was saying as well. And, and just to maybe piggyback on that a bit, you know, this idea that when you are trying to support someone 
you know, leading with that empathy is so important. So, um, you know, having that active listening perspective, as Anthony was saying, and, and really leading with empathy. Um, and, you know, Brene Brown always says yeah. uh, that empathetic statements rarely, if at all, ever start with at least. So, you know, trying not to put a silver lining on something, but just listening and and then truly empathizing with what someone is going through and and trying not to minimize it or you know compare it to something worse you know we want people to know that what they're experiencing and how they're experiencing it and the impact that it is personally having on them is being recognized by us and that we are validating that we're not minimizing their experience and we're normalizing that experience and we're empathizing with that experience. And there's no need to kind of put a silver lining on it or, you know, create this environment where we're trying to put a positive spin on it. You know, toxic positivity is is a real thing. And, and I think that we often try to do this, you know, like, Oh, well, it's not as bad as, you know, so-and-so, or there's so many worse things happening in the world. Like I really need just to count my blessings and I'm so privileged in so many other areas, just because those things are true does not mean that what you're going through isn't complicated and difficult and hurtful and emotional and challenging for you right now. Um, you know, whatever you're experiencing and however you are experiencing it is totally valid. And you need to be able to feel safe having those feelings and feeling like moving through those challenges without having to feel like you need to compare it to somebody else. And so, you know, we always want to make sure we're being non-judgmental and non-biased and really validating that person's experience. Um, and so, yeah, when, if your friend comes to you and says, you know, I'm, I'm really struggling with something, you know, try, try not to get comparative, try not to put a silver lining on it, just, you know, be with them in the mire. And uh, there's actually, there's a great video from Brene Brown about empathy. And it's about going into that space with somebody, you know, somebody's feeling like they're in a hole and it's dark and you come down and you turn the light on and, and say, I'm here with you. And I'm so glad you told me, you know, and it doesn't have to be more than that. It's, it's about, that connection. It's about letting someone know that you're there for them, um, whether or not they're ready to talk about it, but just that you are there, as Anthony said, that you're there as a support uh, and you are accessible to them and willing to listen again, if not right now. So I think it's just important to, to remember, you know, that, that we're not looking to you know, your experience is your experience and we don't need to compare it to anything else that's happening. Um, and it's valid just as it is. Right. And I'm so happy you mentioned Brene Brown as well, too. She's um, incredible in the work that she does. I think that she has another quote. I can't quite remember. I believe she's talking about shame or about pain, but she's basically saying that it, it is non-comparative and that there's like an infinite amount of compassion that can go around uh, so I believe she uses an analogy. It's not like you have like 10 marbles and I'm going to put five towards you and two towards you and the rest towards me. She's saying that everyone can have the same amount of marbles and everyone can have the same amount of support. And I think it's really about, and, and, and it's difficult to do this sometimes. I feel like as, as people, we get caught up in our own narratives sometimes, but I really like, would encourage everyone to to try to reflect on some of your, your friendships and your experiences. And um, I know a lot of um, my friends are like, well, I, I don't like reaching out first to people. Like I want someone to reach out first. And if they're not on social media for a week, who's going to check on them? Who's going to care? And um, I think sometimes it's very easy to, to uh, forget that we all have, um, we can all have the same amount of compassion and the same amount of empathy. I love that both of you also brought up the fact that just because someone else has it worse doesn't invalidate your experience. I feel like that's one of the most common barriers that people have when reaching out for mental health support, because oftentimes they do hear or they do feel the guilt that, why am I feeling like this? There's people that have it so much worse. And 
yes, like Maureen said, and like Anthony said, that's true. Like someone may have it worse, but that doesn't make your experience invalid. Everyone get everyone gets sad. Everyone can can be suffering. And I think it's important to recognize that everyone has their own unique challenges. And just because you may have a bit more money or you may have more experiences or a stable job doesn't make the fact that you may be suffering with some sort of mental illness or poor mental health episode that doesn't make it invalid. It's interesting, actually. I just um, read an article about the Meghan Markle interview and her her discussion around her suicidal ideation um, and how, you know, there's a lot of really crummy stuff coming out in the, in the media saying, you know, this was attention seeking and, and how troubling that is, you know, that, that somebody is trying to speak about their personal experience and, and perhaps not the best news sources are saying, well, this is an attention seeking um, behavior, but you know, I read the, this article that I read was about how it could change conversations about suicide ideation and stigma, that it can change the way we think about it. Again, it's this idea that this is somebody who comes from a place, you know, looking out, looking in of extreme privilege, right? At, in, especially in relation to their financial situation. And so the fact that even, even that person wasn't able to get support and even that per- person felt deeply stigmatized for their feelings. You know, I think it's it's important again to know that it doesn't matter what walk of life you come from, you can experience this. And, you know, unfortunately, maybe not unfortunately, but you know, mental health issues, challenges, all these types of experiences, they don't they don't paint with a bias brush, you know, like that is, it is something that anyone can experience. And it's important to, to recognize that as well. And, and to know that you're not alone in in this and that many people feel stigmatized to talk about it. And the more that we talk about it, the more we reduce stigma and the bigger the community of support gets. And so um, I think that's why these conversations are so important to know that, you know, anyone could, anyone could experience challenges and anyone could um, have these experiences and it could be something that happened and you've gotten over. It's something that could be chronic that you're dealing with constantly. You know, it could be something that comes and goes. It could be a one-time thing, you know, but it, it doesn't mean that it is less or like less intense in the moment or um, less challenging. Um, so I think, you know, if you are, if you, if you are in a place where you need some support, if you can ask for it, please do. Um, you know, it doesn't have to be from, from a helpline. It could be a friend or family member. If you have people that are supportive in your life, but yeah, check on your people. <laughs> you know, I think, it doesn't matter how long it's been. If you're thinking about someone, just reach out. Um, you know, it, like I said about this person who I, I reached out to, it would go, sometimes it would be like a month or two. And I, I'd be like, oh man, I really should reach out to, to my friend. It's been a little while and the conversation would always be brief, but you don't know what that impact is. And you also don't know, you know, what that person is, is going through and you don't know how much impact you could have. So, um, you know, don't be afraid to reach out. And I think as Anthony said, right, like some people are afraid to reach out on their own. And so it never hurts. And I think it's happening more and more these days that we are all seeking connection uh, because we've been (laughs) reduced to small physical spaces and, you know, tiny social bubbles, if any social bubble, depending on um, what we're able to access and, you know, what is safe in our region. Um, you know, if we have access to zoom or a stable internet connection, if we're able to have those web chats and, and virtual chats and things like that, we're, we're in a space where we're more isolated than ever, but have all of these wonderful tools for connection. And so, you know, I just encourage people to use those and, and to not be worried about what it looks like to reach out to somebody Um, or not to worry about like, oh, this person may think I'm weird if I reach out. It's been such a long time. You know, 
I think it can be a really wonderful experience to hear from somebody after a while for personally speaking, like I know my, my dad actually started basically like a round robin phone call session and he'd call somebody else every day and he'd call the same people back once a week. And, um, you know, people he hadn't spoken to in years and in part it was for him and his social connection, but in part it was for them too. He was reaching out to people who lived alone, who he was hoping to, you know, extend that care to. Um, and I think, like I said, I think, I mean, different generation. So like, it's easier to reach out on the phone. I think when you, when you've grown up with that as your main source of connection and communication, but, um, you know, shoot somebody a text, just send them an email. You never know. You never know what you're going to get back from somebody. You never know what that's going to mean to somebody. Worst comes to worst, someone's like offended that you reached out. And that's in like an extreme situation. I don't know how many people would be offended for someone checking in, but recognizing that we're humans, right? So we can we can apologize. And um, it, that goes for like conversations as well, too. Um, we never know what areas are sensitive for someone because we, we don't always know the full scope of someone's life. We, we see uh, pieces that they want us to see. And sometimes people can get upset or offended by things um, just in general when we're reaching out and having conversations. So I just remember like in our human capacity, like it's okay to say, I, I'm so sorry. I didn't recognize that that offended you. I won't say that again. And really apologizing and changing your your actions moving forward, right? I think that that's one thing that um, I wanted to say. And as well as um, something going back to what we were talking about before was in terms of stigma and stuff, everyone, like Maureen mentioned, the more we talk about um, certain conversations, the easier it becomes. And some, some of my most memorable calls that I've had on the hotline um, were actually with male-identifying callers who for the first time had a space to talk about how they feel because society and social expectations have put this pressure specifically um, on certain groups and it, it can be overwhelming and it can be hard to talk. And one of one of the privileges I have is kind of being with different people, like I said, at different stages of their life and at different journeys and hearing those breakthroughs and hearing those moments where they're like breaking down those barriers to have to, to find something in themselves and it, it's 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 beyond words it's difficult to explain how that feels as a as a responder sharing that with someone but it's truly inspirational and i think that that it, it really goes to show that that when you reach out you you may be like i said that it, you may be making it easier for someone to do those to reach out and to have those conversations, to have those breakthroughs. And they may not have it with you, but it may be like you may inspire something and you may encourage them to to share, to accept their feelings and to um, recognize in a space. Yeah. I love what you said about the how you've had such good calls with male identifying callers because so often men are afraid to open up because of the stigma surrounding it. So I'm so glad to hear that you've had good experiences and some inspirations from your, from these types of calls and just add on to what Maureen said about checking in on people, like with her dad calling, uh, calling friends and how maybe our generation for, for and our generation, that's a little bit, more uh, more estranged, but we have the beauty of social media and text messages. And I remember there's this one girl that I went to high school with. Her and I talked maybe only a couple of times, but I I have her. I follow her on Twitter. And over the past few months, she was posting about how she was having troubles with friends and how she was feeling lonely and how she and how people really aren't who she thought they were. And I ended up actually direct messaging her and saying, hi, like, I know we've never really talked, but I've seen your tweets. And in case you ever need anyone to talk, like, I'm here. You seem like an amazing person. And she responded saying, like, thank you so much. And for a while, she didn't reach out. But I was happy that I still, that I reached out and, and she knew. But then the other day, for the first time, she actually reached out and was like, hey, how's it going? And that was really heartwarming for me, knowing that, I 
after months, she knew that she was able to reach out to me and take me up on that offer, like Maureen and Anthony, like you guys were talking about. It may not work when you reach out, but later on, at least they know. And that story is one that made me feel a lot better about me reaching out and what I did and how you can help someone even in the future just by a simple check-in. I think um, it's important to just to mention as we kind of have these check-ins with people as we're, we are supporting someone, say someone has, you know, taken us up on, on this offer of support or as we've engaged with them in our friendships and our relationships in general, um, you know, if somebody is leaning on us, there are, we have capacities and limits as well. Right. So um, we have kind of limits to our knowledge. We have limits to our expertise. We have limits to the type of support that we can provide. uh, And we have, boundaries that we need to personally set too, so that we are mentally safe um, and physically safe. And so I think it's important, even as we're supporting people, that we know where those limits are for us um, and that we know, you know, how to connect people with additional supports or how to connect ourselves with additional supports um, in those conversations. And so, you know, part of what we do on the lines of as well is, is to connect people with those additional resources. So, you know, somebody needs housing or someone needs, um, or is looking for counseling or, you know, anything. And so, uh, you know, we, that goes beyond the capacity of the service that we specifically provide, but we are able to connect people with those resources and to do our best to kind of identify the accessibility pieces that they need or, you know, the kind of specifics around what they're seeking, their location, um, their financial capacity. Perhaps there's a language uh, specification that they require or, um, you know, they're looking for a female or a male counselor, for example, or um, somebody that, you know, specializes in minority groups or LGBTQ plus or anything like that, right? And so the more that we know about the circumstances or the specifications, uh, you know, around the care that they're looking for, the support that they're looking for, we can do our best to connect folks with those types of resources as well so that they're, they aren't limited by the capacity of our service. Um, and I think personally, you know, if you are somebody who's supporting a friend or a relative or a coworker or, or an acquaintance, even, um, you know, understanding your limits, and that could be in terms of what you know, but that also could be in terms of how much you can emotionally handle or physically handle. And so, um, you know, it's important to, to identify those things for yourself as you're as you're supporting someone and know when to say, um, you know, this is where my limit is, but I want to make sure that, you know, I'm still here for you uh, in this capacity, but I, you know, there are other things that, that other places or other areas where, you know, support can be offered um, and, you know, connecting people with those, those options or talking about those options uh, with the person Um, who you're offering support, Um, you know, and that kind of extends to our additional services as well. Um, You know, personally, well, inside of the organization, we have, uh, we partner with, with Crisis Services Canada, which offers suicide and crisis specific services. We have outbound specific services, which support seniors um, or folks who are kind of experiencing transition in their life. Um, We have our suicide survivor support program uh, for people who have experienced traumatic loss for from suicide or homicide. And so there's these additional kind of extended services beyond the helpline as well uh, that connect can connect people more broadly. And then of course this bevy of you know of community specific supports that we offer um, or that we can connect people to pardon me. So um I do think, you know, that it is important to, to think about, about yourself and your capacity and where you feel comfortable and how you feel comfortable supporting someone because your mental and physical safety is important as well. And then also to think about what else, what else there is, um, what next, you know, if there needs to be a what next, um, 
and, and to consider those, those pieces uh, when you're thinking about support and care. Thank you so much, Maureen, for explaining all of that. It's, that's one of the things that I find hardest is you, one of the sayings that I love that strengthen says often is you can't pour from an empty cup. So you have to make sure that you're take care that you're taking care of yourself and identifying your limits for your own mental well-being and also so you're not giving advice in a field that you don't know too much about. That's why at Strengthen we all, we always end our sessions with a list of resources that are offer a wide variety of services and that are accessible to people regardless of gender, ethnicity, um, socioeconomic status and everything because at the end of the day when you're trying to support someone you have to recognize that sometimes you may not be able to go all the way and that's okay. And I feel like referring people to the appropriate resource is just as important as providing the initial support itself. I think, yeah, like the, it's very important to take care of yourself. And um, I think one thing we sometimes forget when we're reaching out and telling people that we are there is one thing to be mindful of is that we don't make false promises. Right. Um, I know sometimes people are like, I'm here no matter what I'm here. Uh, regardless of whatever. And, and that's a huge responsibility to put on yourself, right? So I think sometimes just being mindful of that language as well, too, and saying, like, you know what, I am here, but but um, I also have limits as well, too, like, like Maureen and Kyla mentioned. And then just another thing as well, too, I wanted to quickly add, just in terms of some of the services we provide at the distress centers, um, we also have a language line um, which offers support and service and um a variety of languages. Um, so it's one of the ways that we try to make our service uh, more accessible to to individuals despite um, barriers. Anthony and Maureen, thank you so much for this incredible discussion and raising awareness over this important resource in the community. I was wondering before we wrapped up if, if you could tell the our audience about how they can get in touch with the your line in case they never need it. So yes, if you are looking to reach out to Distress Centers of Greater Toronto, we are a phone-based service primarily. Uh, if you are in Toronto, you can reach out to our number at 416-408-4357. If you're in Peel, you can reach us at 905-459-7777. Uh, if you are in crisis and you're wanting to use our text-based services, this is in connection with CSPS or Crisis Services Canada. You can text 45645. Amazing. Thank you so much again, Anthony and Maureen, for all that you do and for sharing your experiences and your thoughts on this episode. I really appreciate having you both here today. Awesome. Thank you. My it's been pleasure. My pleasure. Okay. Yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> Bye. Thank you to everyone for listening, and we look forward to seeing you next time. <laughs>